Uh, Jaime Baez is going to be our scripture reader this morning. We are reading from the Gospel of Luke, which we just started a few weeks ago. And so I hope you're following along and you're, you're daily reading, the, catching up with the Gospel of Luke and learning about the real Jesus. Good morning, Jaime. How are you this morning? Good. Yes, sir. Is that okay? All right. Test that and see if that's good. Test, test. There we go. Good deal. All right. Jaime, read God's word for us this morning. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John, and they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, Blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And he has raised up a horn of, sound, of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. So this is about the birth of John the Baptist. To say that John the Baptist was revolutionary is an understatement. He was radical in everything he wore, what he ate, how he preached, who he preached to, everything, including from... The conception of his birth was miraculous and revolutionary, kind of appropriate for celebrating the, the anniversary of Revolution Church. And uh, in fact, I have a, a friend uh, named David Matthew that looks a lot like John the Baptist as portrayed in The Chosen. <laughs> I give him a hard time about it. But anyway, he, he's kind of a revolutionary guy too. But here's how we're going to divide up this passage of Scripture. And we're going to cover a little bit more than what Jaime read. But first of all, there is the blessing of John's birth this revolutionary guy, and how God blesses. There's the blessing of the Lord God by Zacharias, and then there's the blessing from the Lord that he gives to his people, and then there's the blessing of John's ministry and, and the prophecy of what his ministry, what his revolutionary ministry would be like. So let's jump right in. If you're ready to learn God's word, say amen. Amen. So Mary, she remained with Elizabeth. Remember last time we met, Mary went to go visit uh, her cousin, or some type of relative, we don't know exactly how they're related, but do, both these ladies are going through, through something extremely similar. Elizabeth is way too old to be having kids, and Mary is way too young and has not even been with a man at all, and now miraculously that both of them are expecting a child, and these two men that, that they're carrying, the children in their womb, will grow up and work together to present the kingdom of God. One, John, will lay the foundation for his cousin Jesus to, to change the world. And of course, John the Baptist was just human and sinful like we are, but Jesus was the Son of God. And we talked about the importance of the virgin birth and all that before. Um, so she, how many months was it when Mary went to visit Elizabeth? Anybody remember how far along was Elizabeth? Six months. So if, why do you think the Bible says Mary stayed with her for three? She probably stayed till the baby was born. We don't know that for sure, but these numbers are important and they're for a reason. And then, and don't, don't miss this statement, she returned home. So Mary now is returning home a little more than three months pregnant, not married. This is difficult for mom and dad. This is difficult for her brothers and sisters. This is dis difficult for the whole town. Most of all, it is difficult for Mary. But Mary embraced all of this and said, you know, let it be to the servant of your Lord. I will do whatever you want me to do. Even though this is going to turn my whole life upside down, I will do it. So returning home was a, was a big deal. So now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth. 
and I don't think this is chronological, let's say it's now flashing back to Mary's gone away, and it's, now it's flashing back to when Mary was there and Elizabeth gives birth, and of course she gave birth to a son. Now that, that's a minor detail, but is it? What if she had given birth to a girl? That whole angel prophecy would have gone out the window, right? What if Elizabeth had miscarried? I mean, there's probably like a 60% chance that this prophecy would not come true, but it came true, again, exactly as the Lord said and and the angel Gabriel predicted. And it says, and her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy. And this word mercy here implies undeserved kindness to her. That Elizabeth didn't deserve any of this. None of us deserve it. But God showed great kindness to her by allowing her to be to give birth to a baby finally after all these years of no children, which again, in that culture, was a big disappointment. And so the neighbors heard all about this. I'm curious, what do our neighbors hear about us? What God is doing for us? Or do they hear it all? But it's like everybody knew what God, that not just this old lady became pregnant, but that God did this for her. And I think it's important that, that we walk close with the Lord and more importantly, we pray for big things from the Lord. Because remember what the angel said that Zacharias, the Lord has heard your prayer. And because Zacharias prayed for big things and because God answers, guess who's getting the glory? God's getting the glory because of what of him, what the miracle he worked in Mary's life, I mean Elizabeth's life. So, and then it says, and they rejoiced with her. That's exciting that all the neighbors, everybody around is excited for her. They're rejoicing with her. And that's very, very biblical. That's very much what the New Testament church should do, what Revolution Church should do. What does the Bible say in Romans 12? Rejoice with those who rejoice. We are not supposed to live lives that are isolated. People nowadays live extremely isolated lives. In fact, if you think about people who the average American is delaying marriage farther and farther out. So you've got a generation of a lot of single people, not married, engaged in a hookup culture, and they go home to their house or their apartment, they hit the remote, the garage door opens, the car pulls in, they go in there, and they might have a cat, or they might have a dog if they're smarter. They might have some type of pets, but we live in the loneliest society the world in the history of the world. That's not just an opinion, that's statistically true. Loneliness is on a dramatic climb. We are meant to do life together. When something great happens, we're supposed to rejoice with those who rejoice. But guess what? We're supposed to weep with those who weep. Isolation is not the way God intended you to live. He created us as social creatures. We're supposed to live life in community, especially in in a Bible-believing church is the best type of community. And it says that we're supposed to live in harmony one with another. It's meant, life is supposed to be meant to be done together. And then it says that on the eighth day, after John the Baptist was born, they came and they circumcised the child. Again, numbers in the, in the Bible are super important. They didn't notice at the time, but we know now that the human body, the, a newborn baby, does not produce its own vitamin K, which is what about, allows your body to clot blood. And yet God knew it. When God gave this to Abraham and to Moses, he said, wait till the eighth day before you circumcise a newborn boy. And God, and they're probably going, why eight days? We don't know. <laughs> and who knows, maybe someone did it early and learned the hard way that, wow, there's a lot of blood involved here. You know, and so it's interesting, but God knew, and this is further evidence. I can give you literally hundreds of evidences that the Bible is very scientific and that the Bible taught things long before scientists discovered them. And some of these discoveries are just in the last hundred years, but the Bible's taught it for thousands of years. That's why the eighth-day circumcision was so important. And so the village, just like they named Ruth's baby, they're the villagers and say, hey, you know, we're going to call him Zechariah. And that they were all involved in that. You know, what are we going to call him and name him after their father? So in those days, people always named after the father or at least some other important relative, you know, grandfather, uncle, somebody significant. But they weren't going to do that here. But this brings up an interesting subject, and this is just my opinion, okay? So what's in a name? Let me encourage you young families that are having kids and having more kids, which is great. Keep doing up your biological job of growing our church. We, we appreciate you for doing that. But don't just name a child because it sounds good. Give, And I'm not saying it has to be a biblical name, but it has to. I would recommend something that means something. 
something that they should live up to. Um, my kids, I try to name them with biblical names in mind. Like my oldest son was Adrian, which that name is not in the Bible, but the concept Adrian means wise, like deep wisdom, and his middle name is Nathaniel, which was a prophet. So his name com combined means wise prophet. My next daughter was Jessica Rochelle, and Jessica means richly, and Ra uh, Rochelle is blessed, and, so, and Jessica is blessed, but, um, and Rochelle is richly. So it means to be blessed richly. And then Lance, Jeremy. Lance is a tool, and Jeremy means used of God, a tool used of God. And you get the idea. And so I would encourage you to, to name your kids with names that mean something to your family. Maybe the, all your kids have the same letter, like the Holton family. Now, I just learned this recently. The Holton kids not only are all C's, but they're all the same middle initial, right? They're all, what is the middle initial again? C-J-H. So all their kids, and, and for the rest of their lives, they'll, they'll have that bond in common. So, yes, you can pick names that sound cool, but try to give them meaning that is also cool. And so here they're not going to name them Zechariah. They're not going to name them after anybody that's related to Zechariah and Elizabeth. And Elizabeth is speaking up. Why is Elizabeth speaking up at this point? Anybody remember? Zechariah is mute. He's been mute for how long now? Nine months. Your husband not talking for nine months. I don't know if that's a blessing or a curse. But, but that was the case here. So Elizabeth speaks up and says, no. And I wonder how she said it. She's, no, no, no. Or no, stop, y'all. His name's going to be called John. And they're like, what? None of your relatives are named John. You're doing something that's so countercultural. Why would you do that? You're supposed to do what everybody does. But let me tell you something. God calls us to be different. And especially today, we are swimming against the current. If you are a Christian, you're living a Christian lifestyle, you're a weirdo. You're a nut. In fact, it's not even just that. You're a threat now. You're a threat. There are people who are committing suicide because you think their lifestyle is wrong. And that, that's what we're being told. But you know what? God calls you. God calls me to be different. And just to stand out. And everybody may be going this direction. The whole world may be going off a cliff and going to hell. But our calling is to follow Jesus Christ. Uh, Pastor Ezra Williams pastored uh, a black church in Harlem for a long time. He tells the story of how Bethel Gospel Church, great name there, Bethel, right? Bethel Gospel Church was started. There was a church in Midtown, New York, on the Manhattan side. And two African-American ladies walked into this predominantly white church, and they were told back in the 1930s they could not attend there. This is a sad part of our American history. They were told that they could not attend there. And so this one German lady was like, what? Why? Why can't they attend? And she walked out to the lobby with them as they're walking out. She said, hey, I'm sorry, but I would love to teach you the Bible. And they're like, great. Would you come to Harlem and teach us the Bible? There's several of us that want to know God's word. And so she started going into Harlem and teaching Bible studies. And that's how Bethel Gospel Church, one of America's great historical black churches, got started. Because one person was willing to swim against the, the, the current culture and do what was right. What is God calling you to do that's different than your culture? The whole culture was saying, of course you got to name the baby Zechariah. You got to at least name it something. And they're like, no, God has told us to do something different, to be something different. And here it is, the Bible has showing God has a sense of humor. Zechariah is mute, but is he deaf? No. <laughs> but they're making signs. John, or Zechariah, you need to call him John. J-O-H. You know, and they're like, he's like, I'm not deaf. <laughs> but they're making signs of him. They've been doing this for nine months, making signs of him. And he's like, for the, for the hundredth time, he's thinking, I'm not, I'm not deaf. I'm only mute. And they're inquiring what he wants to call the child. Because they're like, well, his wife doesn't know what she's talking about. So, so he asks for a writing tablet. He points or something, and he gets a piece of chalk, and he says, his name is John. And they're all like amazed and wondered with this. So how is it, I wonder, that the neighbors and relatives don't know or don't remember that the clear directive from Gabriel was to call the name baby John? Did, did he not ever share this story? Was it not part of the charades? Did he not write it down in chalk? I don't know. Or are they just forgetting? I don't know. It's just an interesting question there. But he makes it very clear. We're going to obey God. And as soon as he reinforced the obedience to God, his mouth was open and he started talking. It was taken away when he questioned God's will 
it's open up when he gets on board with God's will. And the first thing he does when he can speak in nine months is bless God. That's a good idea. And it says, And fear came upon all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country. So first, everybody in the area is talking about, man, God has been gracious to this lady. And now they're talking about it all over again, about Zechariah is talking and all these miracles that are happening to God's people here. And it says, all who heard them laid up, uh, laid, laid them up in their hearts, saying, what? Notice they're saying, not who will this child be, but what kind of child will this be? For the hand of the Lord was with them. They're like, man, you can just see the hand of God working on that family. Look what he did for Elizabeth. Look what he did with Zechariah giving him his voice back and miraculously taking away the angel, everything like that. And our, our goal as Christians is to see that God is moving in such a way in our family that somebody stops and takes notice, that somebody can see it and give glory to God. This phrase, the hand of the Lord, it's mentioned 33 times in the Old Testament. Um, Sometimes it's used in a good way, and sometimes it's God's hand moving against somebody. For example, it says the hand of the Lord was against the Egyptians. Remember those stories, right? Against the Moabites, against the Philistines. But then it talks about the hand of God was upon Elijah and David and Ezra. And so God's hand is directly involved in history, and he's not a a deist. There were several uh, people that were like founding fathers like Thomas Jefferson that believed in deism, that God basically made the universe like you would make an alarm clock, wound it up and set it on the shelf and then just walked away and lets the thing just do its own thing. That's not our God. He is actively involved in history, not just in history in the macro, but in your life in the micro. He wants to be involved in, and he is involved in every little detail. The thing is, is God's hand working for you or is God's hand working against you? It depends on our obedience. It's, this phrase is mentioned three times in the New Testament, and every time it's Luke. It's Luke in the Gospel of Luke, and it's also Luke's description of the Acts of the Apostles. He talks about the hand of the Lord being with John the Baptist, the preachers in Antioch. But it also talks about the hand of the Lord being against Elimus, the, the magician. You can read about those stories later. But the hand of God is something that's not just Old Testament, it's New Testament, it's for today. And so it, when... Zechariah blesses God, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Ephesians 5.18 talks about it. It it gives a comparison, actually more accurately a contrast. Don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. He picks wine and debauchery, excessive use of wine, as an example of what do people act like when they've had too much to drink? It affects their speech. It affects their thinking. It impairs their judgment. The list goes on and on. The Holy Spirit is the equivalent to that in a positive way. The Holy Spirit will change your speech. He will will improve your judgment, not impair your judgment. He'll affect the way you live, the way that others see you. And to be full of the Spirit is a supernatural thing that comes from emptying yourself of yourself so that there's room to be filled with the Spirit of God. It's just like the same person John the Baptist would say years later, he must increase and I must decrease. That's a really good way of looking at the filling of the Spirit as well. But it is definitely a supernatural thing to where your thoughts become God's thoughts, your speech becomes God's speech. Here's the Gary Milborn version of the verse. Don't be under the chemical influence of alcohol, but be under the supernatural influence of the Holy Spirit. That's a good summation of that verse. And as a result, what they do, he prophesied. And in the Bible, there's two ways of looking at prophecy, or two ways that prophecy takes place. There is foretelling. This is the one that we think of most, predicting the future. You know, uh, Hosea prophesies that the Messiah will be gone for 2,000 years and return. You have Isaiah prophesying the birth of Christ, born of a virgin. All that is foretelling. But not all prophecy is foretelling. Sometimes it's just foretelling. That just saying the obvious, what God is doing, but under the influence and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Zechariah is going to do both. The first part of these verses is just foretelling. He's just declaring the obvious, but then he's going to also predict the future and describe in minute detail the ministry of John the Baptist. So he starts off this prophecy under the influence and the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has, and 
three things that's going to describe that he has done. He has visited and he has redeemed his people. And then it goes on to say that he also, the third thing is he has raised up a horn of salvation. Let's look at these three. He visited. 1 Timothy 3.16 says that God was manifest in the flesh. God literally came down and visited us. And so God, he had visited in what we call Christophanies in the Old Testament. But here is God becoming human flesh and coming to visit, not just like a howdy visit, but to come to be one of us. And by doing that, that shows his special presence. He, was, he visited us by the power of the Holy Spirit, but he visited us in the very person of Jesus Christ, God incarnate with us. He has redeemed us. That's a sacrificial purchase. This is not just talking about the nation of Israel. Okay, and again, I appreciate Rob teaching on the nation of Israel this morning. That's so important, especially with what's happening in the world today. Do not believe the lies that Israel is no longer God's chosen people. Okay, they definitely are. We'll talk about that more at another time. But he redeemed Israel, but he also redeemed all of us, he redeemed all the world. He, he grafted in, he didn't replace Israel, he grafted the Gentiles in to Israel. So we are now part of Israel because we believe. And then he, thirdly, he raised up the horn of salvation. Now, horn, that's a strange word. We know what a horn is. A ram has a horn. But what does a ram or any animal that has horns, what do they use that horn for? To fight. To fight. It's a, it's a symbol of power. You, you saw off the horns of the longhorns, they're powerless. Okay? You saw off a ram's horn, it's powerless. So that was a symbol of their power. But also, you could take a horn and and once the animal died, or if you removed it, you could hollow it out. You could make a trumpet out of it. What did they do with trumpets more than any other thing? With the, to blow a trumpet, what was going on? War. Also a symbol of fighting. So you see that fighting and power, defense, all those things. And third thing that they did with a horn was they filled it with oil. And they, they could have filled up anything with oil. But they would fill it with oil, and they would anoint a king. Remember, David was anointed by Samuel with a horn of oil. And so it's showing a transfer of power, the power of God, the oil representing the Holy Spirit, being anointing this person as here's where God's defense will come from. Here's where God's power will come from. This person will lead God's army and fight for the will of God. So there's the three symbols there, the, on the animal, as a trumpet to blow, and also something to use for anointing. And so he also, he spoke. He did all three of these things. He visited us. He redeemed us, and he lift, raised up his horn of salvation, just like he predicted, just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of old. All those books of the Old Testament, what did they do? Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And not only is Jesus coming, but there's someone coming who will pave the way for him. There will be a forerunner for him. So we've talked about the blessing of the Lord, where Zechariah is blessing God through foretelling and foretelling through prophecy. And now we're going to move to the blessing from the Lord. So the first part is blessing God and saying how great he is and what he has done. And now God's going to talk about, Zechariah's going to describe what God's going to do for us. So God did all three things for us that we now would do this for him, that we would be saved, that we would show, and we would serve. First of all, he says that we would be saved from our enemies. Now, for Israel, that meant the Hittites, the Perizzites, the termites, all those things that they were being saved from, okay? But for us, what is our enemy today? Who would you say is our number one enemy? Satan. Not only is it Satan, but it's sin, it's society. All these things are our enemies, and God, through the power of Jesus Christ, has come to deliver us from all those enemies. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. Let me tell you, if you get this, what I'm about to teach you right here, and you don't get anything else out of today, Get this right here. This, is, this will be some good theology. This is what we would call good hermeneutics. If you will understand these three principles, the rest of your Bible study will change. It says he, referring to Jesus Christ, delivered us from such a deadly peril. And he will deliver us. And on him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. What word or form of the word do you see repeated in that passage? Deliver, good for you, okay? You see, deliver, del deliver, 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 okay? And so the other question is, what tense are these in? It says, he delivered us. What tense? Past tense. And he does deliver. What tense? 
presence, and that he yet will deliver us again. Future tense, okay? So there are, the word deliver could also be translated, in fact, in some translations, it's saved, salvation. A deliverer and a savior to be delivered, to be saved, they're the same thing. And so there are actually in the, in the Bible, this may sound like heresy, but stay with me, there are three types of salvation. The first one, he's delivered us from such a deadly peril. The wages of sin is death, okay? So what is the penalty for your death, Jesus Christ, by bearing your sin and mine on the cross, he delivered you past tense from all your sins, past, present, future, but he has already in the past paid that price, that he is the Savior and he has delivered you. But just because you're born again, just because you're saved and you're a child of God, do you, do you stop sinning? No. You, not only do you have a, you had a problem with sin's penalty, but you still have an ongoing problem with sin's power. We struggle with sin's power. There's the power of the flesh and the power of the spirit and they're constantly doing battle. And guess what? The same Jesus who died on the cross and delivered you from the penalty of sin rose again so he could deliver you from the power of sin. Now that's not a one-time thing. That's a daily thing. That you have, every day you have to be in the word, follow, being filled with the spirit, walking in the spirit so you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But Let's say, okay, all my sins are paid past, and I've got the power of the Holy Spirit being delivered present tense, but do I want to stay on this planet Earth? No, I want out of here. And he's coming to get us, and he will deliver us yet again, and that's a salvation from sin's presence. Penalty, power, presence. If you read the Bible with those three in mind, then you'll know which one is it talking about. When the Bible talks about being saved, like the Bible talks about in 1 Peter, that women will be saved by childbirth. What? Does that mean you get born again through childbirth? No. It's that one of the things that, that through overcoming the power of sin in your life is, is having children and fulfilling God's will in your life. And then the Bible talks about that those who, will, those who endure till the end will be saved. Oh, so I have to endure to keep my salvation? No. It just means those who are saved, and you'll experience that future deliverance, sin's presence, when, you, when, you, uh, when Christ returns and he takes his church out. So salvation or deliverance, and you'll see it from these things right here. Sin's penalty, sin's power, and sin's presence. And that's what Zechariah is prophesying about. And it says that we should be saved from our enemies. So this is something that we live out. And so the second thing is we are to show. We're not only, we only get saved, but we are also to show. We're, what are we showing? The mercy promised to our fathers. Talk about the Jewish ancestors. And remember his holy covenant. Okay? There's the Abrahamic covenant. And then he goes on to say the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us. So what was that promise? Specifically, he says, I will multiply your people like the sands of the sea and the stars of the sky. And you look at all those billions of stars, that's us. That's God saying, I, we are children of Abraham through faith in Jesus Christ, and God kept his promise. And that there's not only the promise of a people, but there's a promise of a land. Again, Rob talked about that this morning. So it, the third thing is, not only are we to be saved, we're not only to show, but we're also to serve him without fear. If you're thankful you're saved, you should show the mercy of God, and that should result in serving God. How do we serve him? We serve him in holiness, which means being separate from the world, being distinct, being different, and in righteousness by our deeds. And before him, how many of our days? All of our days. When I was pastor of First Baptist Church in Clute, Texas, I remember asking uh, one of the, the older men in the church about it. Would he be willing to volunteer for a certain type of ministry? And he goes, Pastor, he said, I've served the Lord for t decades. It's time for some other younger men to do it. I'm retired. I'm thinking, do you retire from serving the Lord? I understand you can retire from Dow Chemical, but do you retire from serving the Lord? That was kind of his attitude. He played golf four or five days a week and really didn't want to do much anything else for the church because he was retired. Uh, Zechariah says you should serve God how long? All your days. What if you're bedridden? You know, we need to continue to pray for Miss Reva. She's not been able to be with us for a long time because she's pretty much bedridden a lot because her health is not returning yet. But I guarantee you, I know one thing she's doing. She's praying for you. She's praying for her church family. And as long as you have breath and your brain is operating, you can serve the Lord through praying and through uh, interceding on behalf of your brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Galatians 5.13 says, and don't use your freedom. You've been set free. You've been delivered, right? But don't use the opportunity to say, well, I'm going to do whatever I want now. But through love, do what? Serve. Serve one another. So we see the blessing of John's birth, the blessing of the Lord God, the blessings that have come from the Lord, those three. And now that brings us to the last point. And everybody said, amen. <laughs> the blessing of John's ministry. The blessing of John's ministry. This is where the foretelling takes place. Now, he says, and you, child, he's speaking directly to a baby. And he's, he's saying this prophecy. You will be called the prophet of the Most High. And you will, and you, he's going to list four things that John the Baptist will do with his life. Again, as far as we know, John the Baptist never married, and he was beheaded in jail. He literally, like his Lord, the one he laid, paved the way for, he lived in that same pattern. He said, you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. And Isaiah prophesied this 700 years before this happened. A voice cries in the wilderness. Where did John do his ministry? Out in the wilderness. Man, if that isn't counterintuitive, you think you'd want to go in the city where the most people are. He said, no, no, you're going to come out to me. If you want to hear the gospel, if you want to hear the gospel of the kingdom, you got to come out here and you got to walk a day's way. You need to pack your lunch and come out and hear me preach. And people did by the thousands. He said, out in the wilderness, it will prepare the way of the Lord and make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And of course, John the Baptist fulfilled it. It was prophesied by Isaiah. 700 years later, it would be prophesied again by Zechariah, and all of it would become true. Matthew tells us it did. He said, for this is he who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. The second thing that Zechariah said that John the Baptist would do with his ministry is to give the knowledge of salvation. Give the knowledge of salvation. Here's why. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. And sunrise, that's referring to Jesus Christ. It's a prophecy. And that prophecy is found in Malachi. Now think about Malachi. Last book of the Old Testament. What happens after Malachi? 400 years of silence. Silence is being broken now by the prophecy of Zechariah. And, and watch how these fulfillments tie together. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. Who is that talking about, people? That's talking about Jesus. And so again, and, it's, and here's what's super interesting. I just learned this last week and I was just blown away. It says that you, you Israel, you will go out leaping like calves. You'll be so excited. You'll be jumping up and down like a calf you know, jumping and, and going out from its stall. Uh, our youngest dog, uh, Leia, when we let her, let her out of the kennel, she just runs all over the place, just jumping up and down and going crazy, you know. And this is like a calf that's been stalled and let free and it leaps. And it says Israel will be like that rejoicing over Jesus. So when Mary came to Elizabeth and said, hey, I'm pregnant, what did John the Baptist do inside of Elizabeth? Leap. The first Jew to leap wasn't even born yet. It wasn't a clump of cells leaping in there. It was a human being. But it's so ironic that this prophecy was fulfilled by John the Baptist first when she came and the baby leaped in her womb. Third thing John the Baptist will do, give light. Who is he giving light to? Those who sit in darkness. Now think about that. It's one thing to be in darkness and trying to find your way out. But if you're sitting in darkness, you're like, I'm okay. I'm fine where I'm at. And they don't even realize that that darkness is the shadow of death. There are billions of people on this planet who are sitting in darkness. They're fine. They think this is the way life is. You just kind of grope through and try to feel your way. And they don't realize that this is the shadow of death upon them. And then number four, to guide our feet. What does a guide do? If you've been, been on a hunting guide or you have a tour guide, they walk in front of you, but yet they're close enough to you to guide you. You follow in their footsteps. That's a way of guiding your feet to the way of peace. This also is prophesied. Isaiah 59, the way of peace they do not know. And there is no justice in their paths. People in darkness don't know what's right, what's wrong. They think they do. So John's ministry, he was the first revolutionary 
it's our ministry of Revolution Church. We need to live our lives, and our church needs to be commissioned to do the four things that he he did. We are to go before the Lord and prepare his way. Now, there's all kinds of ways that that could be done. We can do community events. We can do a serve. We can do all kinds of things that are predecessors, like stepping stones to bring people to hear the gospel. But the number one thing we can do to prepare the way of the Lord is to pray. Pray that God softens hearts, that God opens hearts. I mean, this Tuesday, we're going to have hundreds of people out here. We're going to put the gospel in their hands. We need to be praying today, tomorrow, and Tuesday that God would use this to prepare the way of the Lord. And number two, our church needs to focus on giving the knowledge of salvation. The knowledge of salvation. 1 John 5.13 says, These things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. You ask the average religious person or even the irreligious person, are you going to go to heaven when you die? Their answer is, I don't know, or I hope so. And yet John writes multiple times, you should know so. Know. Just as sure as you're sitting here, you should know. And I I know that I'm born again. I know that I'm not perfect, but I know I know Christ. I have a relationship with him. I, I have confidence that when I die, I will spend eternity with him, not based on what Gary has done, but based on what he has done on the cross for Gary. The third thing Revolution Church needs to focus on, to be like John the Baptist, that revolutionary, is to give light to those who sit in darkness. To give light. Who is the light? Jesus is the light. You see, a lot of times we want to give our opinions. We want to give our arguments. We want to give facts. And sometimes they're helpful. helpful, Sometimes they prepare the way. But ultimately, we need to give them Jesus. And people can say to you all the time, well, I'm a a scientific person and I can't believe in something I can't see. And where's their evidence for God? And you need to tell them all I know. You can tell them a lot of things, but you need to make sure you tell them, I know Jesus personally. He lives inside of me. We have a relationship and I want you to have that kind of relationship too. Matthew chapter 5 verse uh, 16 says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works, and glorify God in heaven. And if your life is not living good, and there's not good works, then you don't have a platform to stand on to share that light. So when they see Christ working in your life, just like the whole village rejoiced that God was working in Elizabeth's life, the whole village rejoiced that Zechariah was, was now able to speak, and they gave the glory not to these, this elderly couple, but to God. And then the fourth thing Revolution Church needs to focus on so that our ministry could be like John is to guide the feet of the people into the way of peace. Who, that's why we call it leading people to Christ because we're following Christ and we want people to join that path. So it goes on to say that the child, and it's interesting, this sounds a lot like Jesus, the same pattern here. The, t- the child, John the Baptist, grew. John the Baptist wasn't born miracle worker, you know. He had to grow up just like you and I. He had to grow spiritually. He had, it says he was strong in spirit, just like you and me. And this interesting phrase here. It says, and he was in the wilderness until the day, he, he lived out in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Who does that sound like? Moses. Remember Moses out in the wilderness for 40 years before he came back and presented himself to Israel, who was in bondage and slave, as, um, as their deliverer, as their savior. And John the Baptist is following that same footstep. Of course, Jesus would do the same thing. Jesus would go out into the wilderness, not for 40 years, but for 40 days before he presented himself for the ministry. So you see that pattern. It says to give light to the... Let's go backwards here for a second. <clears throat> so we talked about the four things we're supposed to do like John the Baptist, but I want you to look at who was receiving this ministry. Those who sit in where? In darkness. Those that are in the shadow of death. Right here, Zechariah is quoting from Psalm 107. You may be watching online or maybe you're here in person, and this is not very comfortable for me to say, but this verse may be describing you. That that you're in darkness. That the shadow of death is still over you because your sin penalty has not been paid for. And you may be the first person to, if you were honest, admit there's no peace in my life. That's why I scroll constantly. That's why I self-medicate. That's why I do whatever I do. But let me tell you, the Prince of Peace has come to, t- to destroy death 
to take away darkness, that he is the light of the world. John 8, 12 says again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus invites you today to follow him, to give your life to him because he gave his life up for you. Isaiah prophesied 700 years before it happened that Jesus would be pierced for our transgressions. That means where we go against the laws of God and he was crushed for our iniquities, the filthiness that comes with sin. And upon him was the chastisement or the discipline that brought us peace. And with his wounds, the nails in his hands and feet, the beating upon his back, the crown upon his head, all that was done so he could bleed and die for our sins. That should have been us on the cross. Will you surrender to him today? Will you step out of darkness and receive Christ as your Lord and Savior? I want, I want to read to you Romans chapter 10. It says, if you personally put your name in there, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, Jesus, I give my life to you because you gave your life for me. And Lord, I believe in my heart that you died on the cross, you were buried, and on the third day, God rose you from the dead the Bible says you will be saved. Not might be, not possibly guaranteed will be saved if you will make this decision to make the great universal exchange. He gave his life for you. You give your life to him. Would you pray with me? I'm going to ask God's people to pray for the Holy Spirit of God to move in this place. And for anybody watching online, that the Holy Spirit would open their hearts and their eyes and their mind to be open to the gospel. And for those of you who've never trusted Christ as Savior, why not today? Father in heaven, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you so much for what you've done in this church for 60 years in this location. Thank you for the merger that was just so beautifully orchestrated by you. Father, thank you and remind us that the church is the people. I pray that generations will come to follow in our footsteps in this place to share the gospel and the light of Jesus until you come. May we be found faithful, no matter how difficult the world may get to be. Thank you most of all for Christ and what he did on the cross for us. And we give him glory. And all God's people said, amen. Um, all right. If you made a decision to trust Christ, or maybe you need to know more information, there's my phone number. Please call me, text me. Let's, let's have a conversation and talk about that. I'd love to answer your questions. Um, let's see, who do I, Ashley, would you help me with a uh, question and answer? So there's the phone number if you want to text questions in. And here's the first one up. Me first. Okay. We're going to interrupt this just a little bit. What's, what's, you don't mind. what's your question, Nathan? I don't have a question, Okay. but um, I would like to take a, take a moment to recognize our pastor, both of our pastors here at Revolution Church. Sorry, I'm a little winded from coming up here. Yeah, I would, like to, I would like to take a moment to recognize these two men, both of them who love the Lord very much. They love their church. Do you want to call Pastor Stan up here? Yes, yes. Let's go ahead and come up here, Pastor Stan, if you don't mind. And um, both of them love, love the Lord very much. They love their church, and they go out of their ways to serve both the Lord and their church. Um, I'd like to start by just saying a few things about Pastor Stan. So um, Pastor Stan attended a few of the life groups that Greg and I had hosted, and I remember sitting at the Dement's kitchen table and getting to talk about the Lord with Pastor Stan and a few other men, but the real treat was getting to listen to Pastor Stan. Yes, sir. And uh, Pastor Stan is a great example of someone who has a fire for Christ and his flame burns hot, and I've seen that in a few years that I've known him. We love you for the godly man that you are and for the way that you serve God and his church. We love your wife, Reva, and all the sweetness the Lord has blessed her with. We're continuing to pray for her, Pastor Stan, and look forward to seeing her. Um, the church has really stepped up to the task of showing their love and appreciation, and I'll hand them out to you in a second, but I believe it's a total of $1,500 the church has raised to show a love, show love to you, you and Miss Reva. Yes. And... Um, Pastor Gary, um, who we're blessed to be able to call our pastor, um, as well as our friend, I'll tell you firsthand, personally, that in the face of tragedy, Pastor Gary 
picked up the phone and was at my door in the next few minutes. Um, he's here for his church, and he's here for his people. He's a great shepherd to his flock, and I'm thankful for him. I'm thankful for his family and their presence in my life. Um, and speaking of family, Miss Tammy, your lovely wife, deserves a mention as well. Um, she has dedicated her life to serving the Lord, Amen. teaching and reaching children. And uh, my son, Zeppelin, has been blessed much by this. And he's coming home even last Sunday after church. And he's coming real close to making a really big decision, probably the most or is the most important decision yeah. in his life. And um, that's what happens here in children ministry. And we can thank Miss Tammy and the other women who work hard teaching our kiddos um, the most important thing that they'll ever know. And um, so there's a check for you guys as well for $3,000. We have a really loving church. And mm -hmm. there's some um, saltgrass gift cards in there, too, so don't forget to take Miss Tammy out to eat. Definitely. Let's praise God for all that he's done for Thank our pastors. Amen. Amen. Appreciate you. You have done it for free. <laughs> you have done it for free. <laughs> All right. So do you want to start with this one from last week or you want to go to the bottom? Okay. What should be our focus when the world around us is crumbling? Um, I, I would picture yourself on the Titanic. The ship is going down. Let's stop arguing about rearranging the deck chairs. Let's get the lifeboats and fill them up. So there are people we know that don't know Christ. And we've avoided the conversation because we don't want to be uncomfortable. Be uncomfortable. Just just do it. Just have the conversation. Even if, wouldn't it be better to lose them as a friend but gain them for eternity than to keep them as a friend here in this life and lose them for eternity? So that, you know, Jesus says, I didn't come to, to bring peace the first time. I come to bring a sword. And I'm going to divide father against son, mother against daughter, father-in-law against son-in-law, you know, because the gospel divides and people have to decide which side are they on. And, and um, you look at what's happening in the Middle East. And I realize people have said before, every time things happen in the Middle East, people run to their Bible and say, well, where's this in the Bible? But what's happening today is very different. You know, it, anyway, I, we need to just be having those conversations. Okay, I just don't know how. Just tell them what Jesus did for you. Just say, I, all I know is when I was whatever year old, I heard the gospel and Jesus died for me and I gave him my life and my life has not been the same since. And I just want you to have that. Okay. What are the signs that the rapture is coming soon? Um, so I, Jesus described it in several ways, but one of them was like a mother giving birth. You know when you're pregnant, okay? But if you're three months, you know it's not soon. You're six months, hopefully it's not soon. But when you're eight and a half, nine months, you know it could be any day. So, and you're having birth pains. And then when the contractions start, you know. So Jesus said, nobody knows a day or an hour, but we should know that it's close. A mother doesn't know exactly what day she's going to give birth, but when the contractions start, it's probably in the next 24 to 36 hours, okay? So I think we're close. And if, we are not, if we're not um, paying attention, um, those things. But um, another thing, I could go on a long list. Um, there's something that's called uh, replacement theology because when Israel was scattered and the Roman Empire like persecuted them and they left and they literally went to all four corners of the earth, the Bible told us that they would be regathered into the Holy Land before Christ came and that it would be his people. Well, for hundreds of years after that, people are like, how can Jesus set foot on the Mount of Olives and how can there be a new Jerusalem when there is no Israel? There is no Israel. This must be spiritual. It must just be symbolic. So they came with this whole theology wrapped around called replacement theology that, that the church replaced Israel and that Jewish people aren't God's chosen people anymore, especially because they rejected Christ. And that only, now the church is Israel. So whenever you read in the Bible that Israel, Israel they just put in church because they, they couldn't see how, how could God restore you know, come back to a nation that doesn't even exist. Well, God can do whatever he wants, and he did. In 1948, he brought Jews from all over the world, put them in the land there, which, by the way, there is no Palestine, okay? One of the Roman emperors renamed it after the Philistines because he knew how much the Jews hated that. 
So he called it the land of the Philistines as a smack in the face to the Jews. So when you hear people say Palestine, think Philistine. Okay, so who's, who does the land belong to? It belongs to Israel. And God miraculously brought people back from all over the world. You know how Latin is a dead language? Hebrew used to be a dead language. And when Israel came back into the land, there was one rabbi who said, I mean, yeah, rabbi, who said, I'm speaking Hebrew. If you want to talk to me, speak Hebrew. And all they, they just learned that like in, 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 in synagogue, but they never spoke it outside that. And today, guess what? Millions of people in Israel speak Hebrew. So, I mean, it just, if that's not enough to get you excited about the Lord coming soon, that, that prophecy right there, 1948. How should Christians deal with spiritual distress, seeing what's happening in Israel and around the world, especially to innocent children? How do we reconcile what we're seeing with the knowledge that we serve a loving God who is all-powerful? Yeah. So um, it's interesting that people will say, how could a loving God allow the things? It's because he gave you all free will. Okay. He gave you a choice. And so you can choose to do good things to people or you can choose to do evil. And it's interesting if you say, well, why would he do that? I want you to think of the worst thing you've done or are doing. And do you want God to stop you? Do you want him to step in and stop you? No, because you're doing it because you want to. But so you want God to stop their sin, but not stop yours. <laughs> we, we can be pretty self-centered about it. Um, so, um, but again, God didn't cause this. It's interesting that people will say he doesn't exist because he allows it. How can a non-existent God allow something? So it's a paradox that the atheists have there. Now, this is a prayer request to keep in the family of Henry Torres from Galveston in our prayers. He passed away from a hit and run recently. Keep his family in prayer. Uh, so, yeah, actually, no, but I remember from a couple weeks ago, we talked a little bit about Mary. Yeah, Do yeah, tell us about that? that. Okay, so remember, Pastor was asking us about saying, like, why why would Luke talk specifically about the womb, the miracle happening in the womb and not happening in, like, in the, uh, the ovaries tubes. or the fallopian tubes? So I started thinking about it, and I realized that if... Mary, who's about 13 to 16 years old, she would have never, she would not have been married yet because she would not have been shown that she was ready to procreate. So she would have probably never had her, um, her menses before. She would never have had a period before, which also would mean she would never have ever been ritually unpure, impure. So that means she would have never had a flow of blood. She would never have had that, which is, again, why she wouldn't have been married. So Jesus is significant because he is probably, very likely, if it's not too far of a stretch, to say that he was produced or created from the very first egg that Mary's body ever released, and that it was a miracle in the womb because that's where the egg implanted itself and through the power of the Holy Spirit became Christ. That's crazy. That's that, that's good stuff right there. Yeah, good that's for you for cool. thinking of that. Anybody else have a question? All right, let's let's stand.